about a year ago at Intelligentsia Cup, I can remember it very distinctly, it was the second day, I was having a conversation with Colonel Curtis Southern. He is a legend in the Masters Bike Racing world, NCVC rider, numerous time national champion. And we were talking about what makes us tick and why we continue to do this strange thing despite our advancing years, shall we say. And he looked over at me and gave me the sage advice. Do whatever you can to stay in the sport as long as it makes you happy. And now I pause and think about what makes me happy versus what makes anybody else happy. The concept of happiness or peace or contentment or just joy is not universally applicable to everybody, meaning what makes one person happy doesn't necessarily make the others happy. It is a genuinely, uniquely individual experience, one that is something that each person has to find on their own. There are numerous ways that bike racing, bikes in general, the sport, the idea of sport can make you happy. And any one given way is not better than the other. So look at what you do in the sport and look at what you find interesting and exciting and go for it. But don't judge other people when they choose to do something different. You may love a 45-minute parking lot crit with sprints every five laps, but other people may not. They may like to do a 200-mile gravel race. They may love mountain biking. Maybe they like track racing, cyclocross, whatever it happens to be. The way that you engage with the sport is genuinely unique and individual. We have Ricky Arnopel here, who's going to help us kind of explore this concept a little bit more. It's an ongoing conversation that he and I have been having for months now, mostly about what category to do or what race to do or whether or not somebody's accomplishment was legitimate enough. These are very strange text messages and it's a very long conversation. So taking any unique or single snippet of it is probably going to leave things way out of context. But here's the gist of it. You do you. That's it. It can't be any simpler than that. Find what you like in the sport and do it. Chase that as long as you possibly can. And when it changes, change with it. When it evolves, evolves with it. Be supportive of each other. Be supportive, most importantly, however, of yourself and what you find to be your own guiding star in the sport. My name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. WideAnglePodium.com is the source for the full bevy of shows that we have available for you. Please go there, become a supporter and subscriber of that network. This is an independent effort. All of us from Spencer, Tim, and Matt to Bill, Michael, and Zach to Amanda, these are all our passion projects but we need you to help us keep that going because sometimes this equipment gets expensive. Sometimes the hosting fees get expensive. And if you can toss us a few dollars here or there to tell us that you appreciate what you're doing, that you appreciate the information that we're providing to you, we would really very, very, very much appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by our good friends at Caldera Lab. You've heard us talk about them for the last three weeks and about my personal experience with Caldera Lab. So let's go back to a little bit first about who they are. Caldera Labs creates high-performance men's skincare products by combining pharmaceutical-grade science along with nature's purest and most potent ingredients. It is the stuff that helps you look your best, even though you are putting your skin and your body through some pretty strenuous activities during the day with sweat, sunscreen, all of it just life and stress. Caldera Lab has a full set. They call it the Regiment. It is a twice-daily routine to transform your skin. You've heard me talk about it. You know it's good because I've been telling you about how much better I look and how much better I feel because of that. But let's talk about Caldera Lab, the company. Caldera Lab is committed to transparency and sustainability along with excellence. That is why Caldera Lab is a certified B Corporation as well as a member of the 1% for the planet. What is a B Corporation? Bcorporation.net is 
kind of where I'm bringing this information to you from. It is a non-governmental group of companies who have come together to say, we want to demonstrate the highest social and environmental performance. We want to make a legal commitment to changing the way that we do business, all the way from the materials that we use to the structures that we put in place to the supply chains. It's all designed to be transparent and to show that what they are interested in is not just one specific stakeholder or shareholder, but the entire experience. It is corporate and emotional and environmental responsibility at its highest. These corporations must be the change that they seek in the world, that all business ought to be conducted as if people and places matter, that through their products, practices, and profits, businesses should aspire to do no harm and benefit all. And to do so requires that these corporations act with the understanding that we are each dependent upon another and thus responsible for each other in future generations. It's a good company. They make good products. You should definitely go to Caldera Lab and check them out, calderalab.com, and check out what they offer. Go pick up the clean slate, the base layer, the good, the icon, all of the things that I've been using for the last month. And when you find what you're looking for, use the promo code CRITERIUMNATION, all one word, for 20% off your purchase. So let's get into our episode here with Ricky Arnoble. So Ricky, you and I have had these ongoing conversations via text message, DM, in person, yelling at each other, just all these great conversations about, you know, what it means to be happy in a sport like bike racing an ostensibly amateur sport for the vast majority of us here in the United States. And, you know, I want to talk to you about what it means for you just to do you. You know, that's a phrase that we overuse in common parlance. It's kind of like it is what it is. It's just a stop in a sentence or a stop in a conversation that doesn't really seem to have a meaning except to say, OK, what's next? But I think here it does have a specific meaning. Before we get to the let's you do you sort of conversation, I want to start with why we even need to have a talk about whether it's OK for you performing your hobby, your your amateur activity that you're doing to to even have to worry about how you perceive other people's view of you. Like, why do we have in this sport like this guttural reaction about this is the way it should be done? If you deviate from that way, you're no longer cool. Yeah, no, I mean, we've we've even had semi-heated discussions about this and that's why i like talking with you because we can argue but not get mad at each other. but i think it's like a this sport is steeped in tradition and it's hard to kind of break the chains of tradition that we have but really like in the u.s specifically i think there just is a sense of elitism and that stems from the fact that the way it's structured is that you know we have a category system like one through five basically and that's great. That's how it should be. You wouldn't want to throw someone who's just starting in with someone who's been doing it for you know, 10, 12 years, who has an FTP difference of 200, 300 watts. But I think that, you know, there's two things. There's a sense of elitism in the sport, you know, in both racing, riding, enjoying it, and otherwise. And then also people always want to, you know, perform well or just come off that they perform well or come off that they are at this high level. And maybe that's just sport in general, but I think it's like way more on display in cycling itself. And maybe that's just because of the type of person that's attracted to the sport. Um, you know, it's not, it's, it's a somewhat wealthy sport. So I think you just have a lot of people that kind of take that persona of an elitist and they take it into every realm of the sport and make it unenjoyable sometimes. But why, even when you look across disciplines, let's let's separate out road specifically. This is a road podcast, but like 
we talk about gravel, we talk about mountain biking, we talk about cyclocross, enduro. I mean, hell, like any version of the sport will inherently get shit upon by the other versions. You know, there was earlier this year, there was that whole dust up about mountain biking with the curly barred cuties comment that came out in one of their publications referencing all of us who don't have flat bars like a mountain bike would have. But, you know, there seems to be at a base level, like there is a specific right way to do bike racing. And if you don't do that bike racing my way, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. And that's like going back to like, it's like shaving your legs. It's like, you know, yeah, sure. There's benefits to shaving your legs, but in the end, who gives a shit? It doesn't really matter. But yeah, I think there's a lot of old guard that have been around it for a while. And we're kind of in an era where cycling is taking like a different turn in how it's executed and what it means to be professional, what it means to be successful. And I think that irks a lot of people and it shouldn't. And yeah, I don't know. I think that's like where the you do you thing kind of starts and even gravel, which was an extension of, you know, no, I don't want to say an extension of road. It was a whole new thing in theory. Um, but now there's a way to do gravel. That's the spirit of gravel, which was supposed to be like, um, do whatever the fuck you want. It's cool. Has now become like, but the spirit of gravel has rules, you know, usually when it's convenient to some people, but now the spirit of gravel has rules, even though it was built on you doing you pretty much. I love the, the reel that specialized has recently shared from unbound. Mm, yeah. And it was of, uh, Sophia Gomez Viafane and her coming into one of the various aid stations at unbound. And she had a Formula One style pit crew that was there who she met was three different people all wearing specialized shirts because, you know, she's a specialized athlete. They washed her drivetrain, got all of her, you know, gear and switched it out right then and there, made sure everything was running perfectly. She literally opened up her jersey and just dumped all these wrappers that she had from various different pieces of nutrition. They changed her shoe during the course of this pit stop. I mean, this is all from the sport that has pitched itself as we are the inclusive sport. It doesn't take anything to get into gravel racing, except for if you want to do it at that level, it takes a, a pit crew. And I mean, it's not just her, you know, even Zach Allison, my coach had two people working the pits with him, you know? So it's like, can we just admit at some various level that it's okay for us to care and to put effort into something and not just have it be, okay, we're just having fun. And if you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, no, and not like I'm thinking right now, and I've had this kind of thought in theory for a little bit, but like, okay, take like any other sport, take like basketball. Um, you, you know, you watch these pro teams and they play in their arena and they play all those certain teams. And like, that's the pro version of basketball, right? So let's, we're just going to keep it to the U.S. because that's our demographic here. But in the U.S., we have whatever armed forces just happened. Armed forces pro crit um, or toad or intelli, whatever. You have the pro race. And then throughout the day, you have other categories. They're all doing the exact same race. They're all, you know, kind of going through the same stuff. The, diff the distance, you know, time, whatever might be different. But you have people that are basically like, oh, like I'm basically doing the same kind of race where it's not like, you know, some high school basketball player can just hop on Madison Square Garden and, you know, play with the Knicks or play on the same court as the Knicks. Like it, it just doesn't work like that. And so I think people, it's a lot more um, like attainable and digestible for them to be like, I'm not that far from that person who's doing the pro race. And, you know, we can get into it later about the category system and everyone always thinks they're a little bit better than they are, but like everyone thinks they're very close to that. And then you do something like unbound where you have Sophia and then you have the person that doesn't even have a pit crew and is just trying to stumble around to find water at the aid station doing the exact same race. Like Sophia might come in with, you know, some other age group or something that doesn't have any crew and doesn't know what the heck they're doing, but he like looks over sees that and he's like well if i just get there then things will be dory like then i'll i'll be pro and so 
then it goes into the whole thing about like, you know, money on the line and how good you really, I, I don't know. We could get into it all day, but that's kind of my theory is that like you're in the big show and you kind of think you're in the big show, even though there is a discrepancy, discrepancy of ability of money of support, all this stuff. But that's the only difference maker. So people are just like, well, shoot, all I need to do is get sponsored by Specialized and then I'll have a pit crew too. I So we are recording this the week before Tulsa. This will air the week after Tulsa. And I think Tulsa is probably the quintessential example of a crit where this question is probably germane for. Because in the United States, like it or not, Tulsa is probably one of the top five Criterium weekends, period. End of story. Like everybody looks forward to it just about as much, if not more, than nationals. And we can argue whether or not that's valid or or not, but it, it just is what it is. People love Tulsa. So is part of the reason why bike racing in the United States is so special because I can show up at Tulsa as a Cat 5, race at 8 o'clock in the morning, and then stand there until 8 o'clock at night watching increasingly more experienced, faster people do the same thing that I just did. It's the point that you made, you know, like a fifth grader can play basketball at his local high school and then you know, see his professional team at the United Center or at the Boston uh, TD Garden or whatever it happens to be, but there's like a separation between you and them. You don't play on the same court, but here you quite literally are playing on the same court. And in the context of gravel, you're, you're right there in the race alongside the better people, the more experienced pointy end of the race. Is that something that makes the bike racing experience in the United States special. Yeah, I think so. I think that's what makes it really cool. And I think we've had that for a long time. I mean, even the races that, okay, take like, um, take something more obscure, like Joe Martin tour of Gila for the most part, this year was kind of weird, but they have amateur races, like full blown amateur races on almost the same course. That's a UCI race for the pro men and women. And then Cat ones, twos, threes, whatever, masters get to do that same stuff. Whereas when you go over to Europe, there's no amateur version of the UCI race on the same day on similar courses. Like that doesn't exist over there. And so it's beyond just crits, it's road racing here too. Um, you know, they do it for stuff like Redlands, even will like try to put a crit in there too. So, and maybe that's just because we need the money and we need the funding in this country because cycling is just not what is in other countries. But I think it's also something that makes it really special. Yeah. Like Joe Schmo can be a cat five and do blue dome and then be like, yo, I crashed in that same corner. And now that guy on project echelon crashed there too. Like me and him buddies, like that's us. So it's like, it's very, you know, it's very cool. And like, that's why I, I don't know, this is a tangent, but like I've always, when I started racing, there was really, really cool coverage of domestic racing, but like manual for speed. Let's take him. He did really, really good coverage of domestic racing. And I think it was super popular because cat twos, threes, cat ones, whatever are like, whoa, whoa, I'm so close to that. I can be in that coverage someday where it's like you look at cycling news and saw that Miguel Berg won the Dauphine today. And you're like, well, that does nothing for me because likelihood I get there is pretty slim. So whenever you have something that I think is like, you can imagine yourself being there at a certain point, that's when you're like, I'm freaking hooked. And that, you know, me starting racing, well, this is the first big races I won were like Toad and I was like a four and then I could go watch the pro race and I'm like, well, shit, man, if I just get there one day, it will all be set. So it's like, that's how you, that's how I think you get hooked in cycling like in the first place, if you if you want to race, that is, is seeing the pros and being like, how far away is that really from where I'm at? And you obviously know that if you didn't have to work your day job, you'd be right there next to every single pro, regardless of age, experience level, or just natural talent. You just need to not work that day job. That's what I've always been told. I think that's what most people think. But trust me, I had um, most years without like a really steady day job. And now I have a full-time job and I'm way better this year than I was before. 
So, um, yeah, get a day job, drink more booze and eat a little bit worse and you'll probably get faster. You are on record as being one of those guys who has said once he's done being competitive at the top level, you're done with the sport. Uh, that was a little while ago. And I'm wondering if that's still your opinion, you know, that the moment that you are no longer capable of doing what you are doing right now at the level that you are doing it, you're going to walk away. Yes. I, I guess like the caveat with that is like, I could walk away from racing, you know, like UCI road races or whatever and still do something like I'm, I want to race some gravel races. But the thing is like, I have to, I'm not going to train half-ass and then get half-ass results. Maybe I will. I don't know. I'm, I'm talking all this shit, but, you know, I might stop for like six months and be like, well, I'm bored. I'm going I'm to quit. But I guess my point is that I like the feeling of working really hard and seeing those results kind of. So to kind of not work that hard and try to imagine getting the same results, I think, would hurt at both levels because I'm kind of doing two things mediocre. Almost at that point. And it's not to say that that's wrong. Like one of my favorite people in the world is Drew Christopher. Do you know Drew? Christopher? I don't. He was on like Champs' back in the day. Like he's a great guy. He's from Denver. And that dude was a savage. You know, he was a really, really good domestic pro. Um, and he's still just like, I saw him basically at Joe Martin <laughs> doing the amateur crit. And he just like, he's doing Tulsa this weekend too. And there's no way he trains as much as he did when he was a pro, but he likes to still just like, get out there and freaking race because he thinks racing is fun. And even if he's not getting the same results he was before, he finds that fun. And I don't know, maybe I will too. Maybe I'm just being jaded right now. Um, but, you know, again, you do you. Whatever you want to do, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I say. Yeah, because I mean, about a year and a half ago, well, actually, no, like take that back. It was probably a little bit longer than a year and a half ago because the COVID pandemic has distorted time. But right before the COVID pandemic, I decided to get back in the water and swim a little bit. And yeah, I know it was strange. It was a end result of me being in Fort Lauderdale near the, the International Hall of Fame and having too much time on my, my hands. So I was like, I'll go buy a suit and swim. And so I did it a little bit and I couldn't not try to see if I could do a 50 backstroke under 30 seconds. Like, Oh, so you're a swimmer. Though. Yeah, I was a swimmer. Okay. Yeah. It, okay. You know, I did the whole, if I can't be at the top of the sport, I'm done sort of thing. And so like in 2001, when my eligibility expired in, in college, you know, I did one more swimming event, which was a team triathlon or a relay triathlon, I guess they might call it, where I did the swimming leg. And that was it for 20 years, basically. But sure enough, when I jumped back in the water in 2019 at the International Hall of Fame, you know, wearing, you know, the Speedo that I bought in the gift shop, you know, I tried to be my former great self. Um, a, uh, a a titanium rod in my collarbone has changed my stroke dynamic a little bit, but it's still there. Like I can't not try. And I don't know if I'm alone or if there are other athletes in this world who are just like, I must be the best or I must be better than I ever was before, or I must be comparing myself to the best. And I feel like you might struggle with that too. Or, or maybe you're just at the point where you're at the top of your game and you've never had to struggle with that. I think it's, I think it's just going to be like the competition aspect of it. Like I'm really, really hopeful that when I decide to stop racing, that I can like go out and ride without a power meter, without anything and just freaking enjoy it, which I'm sure, I mean, I love riding my bike and I'm not like a complete addict to training, but I do enjoy training a lot. So I hope that one day I can just go out there and like I saw this lady going ass slow up Flagstaff here in Boulder and she just looked like she was having so much fun she was in like tennis shoes and I was like I don't know if I've had that much fun on the bike in like years so like hopefully I can get back to that level when I'm done and just yeah enjoy riding I mean riding is amazing and I just don't want that feeling of being really out of shape and just like bonking after 30 minutes because like when you're the lay person and you don't even know what a bonk is, it doesn't matter. You just, you suffer through it. But when you know like how you felt in the past 
and what feels good and what feels bad. And then being out of shape, you're like, oh, like this, this sucks. This that's that's my thought. It's like that first time when you get back on the bike after I don't know however many days it takes for you to feel uncomfortable getting back on the bike and that you drive out of the driveway or the front door or wherever it is that you happen to live. And the first like 15 pedal strokes, you're like, I don't even know if I can balance. Exactly. The, I, I think the key we're talking about here is like the idea of having fun with what you're doing, yeah. but still having fun within the concept or the confines of a competitive activity, because that's what this show is about. It's about the competitive activity. And so, you know, I heard yesterday that listening to a song that you particularly like, that there have been studies that have been done, that the performance enhancement of listening to a song that you particularly like is greater than almost any artificial elevation that you can give yourself through like an EPO or an HGH or something like that. Just that, that kick from the cool beat you know, you're suddenly getting into it that your performance raises. Have you heard that? Uh, no, but I think that's like a general, like we've, we joked about it before that like, if you could just listen to music in like a TT, that's like an easy five watts right there. Like song that you like. I mean, I'm going to go with EPO probably helps a bit more, but I would say the close second is listening to some good tunes. But also like when you're having fun and you're engaging in an activity, the pain feels less yeah i mean i think that's always the case that and i talk about this with like athletes that i coaches that like positive mindset it's like basically like just take yeah like a time trial for instance if you feel like you're doing well and you have that like building up confidence you might just continue to get faster and faster and faster but if you just get that thing in your head in the first five ten minutes that shit things are not going that well you might have been on the exact same day as any other day, but the mindset difference will kind of dictate how you physically perform. And then, I mean, I think having in that, that goes with like having fun. You're having more fun when you're doing well, ultimately. And I think that can propel you to set PRs, win races, do whatever. But if you're miserable doing it, yeah, it's never going to feel easy. Cause like there's that point in almost every race where you either you do or you don't, you know, at least in elite races or races that are elite to you. Let's say it like that. So if you're a cat five, if you're a cat one, there are races that are elite to you. So that are hard. There is a point in a race where you have the capacity to either do it or you don't. And it's a decision point more than anything where you say to yourself, this is the lap that I'm going to get dropped, or this is the lap that I'm going to attack whatever it happens to be. And if you're in the positive mindset, you more than likely can do more than if you're in the negative mindset. Cause like, I, I know that I've come out of a lot of corners and been just like, I'm not standing up again. Yeah. Your brain is constantly telling you to stop in cycling. It's like a non, it's not a natural activity. Your body doesn't want to do it, but we're forcing it to do it. So it's like when you're going really hard, it's going to give you every opportunity it can stop so the moment you skip a pedal stroke it's just like boom that's it so i mean yeah i think there always is that moment in kind of your mindset going into that if you're confident that basically you're going to be fine then you'll be fine but if there's some doubt in your mind and you give yourself the opportunity to skip a pedal stroke to drop a wheel like yeah you're done going into this conversation have that in mind like how do you set yourself up for success how do you set yourself up so that you are going into whatever your race is your elite race and you are having fun doing it you are in a positive frame of mind so that when that decision point comes you're just like i'm attacking i'm not going backwards i think it's like and i just talk about it so much it's like mental affirmation that you're doing well confidence that you're doing well the confidence just goes so far so like if you're you know in a gc battle with a bunch of guys and you've done you've gone toe to toe with them all week like your mental level is like i can be with them the whole time so you just force yourself just to stay with everyone and if you're feeling really good and you notice other people struggling then you attack or something. but i mean take 
Redlands is a very good example. Going into the last day in the sunset route that stage, which is debatably one of the hardest, you know, races in the country. It was Tyler in first, me in second. Like I should have had every reason to be really confident. And I honestly was, but in all honesty, it was a really freaking hard race. And in the last lap of that race, like I skipped a pedal stroke and that was it. That was enough to give myself a reason to let a gap open. Then that gap expanded and expanded. So like sometimes even if you have that confidence, it's beyond your kind of physical level. But then I go back and I'm like, well, maybe I could have just taken three more pedal strokes. That would have been fine. So it's hard, but I think if you're confident, especially like, and I talk about this a lot with like newer athletes and crits is that the sense of like feeling like you belong at the front is the most important thing that you can have. Um, and I tell people to race the first few laps, like it's the last few laps, because once you set that tone and that stage for yourself that you belong in the front, you rarely find yourself out of the top 10, top 15. It's just basically these same 15, 20 guys swirling around each other. And you see them and you're like, well, I know I can be around that guy. And so you never wind up leaving the front. Meanwhile, you have 60 guys behind you that are all just fighting for that bubble. And they're just circulating throughout the bubble. It's like, it's this whole thing where you have to know that you can be in a certain place. And then that confidence basically makes it in such a way that, you know, you bump other people out for a position or whatever. But knowing you belong, I think is one of like the, the biggest things. And that just comes from trying and confidence um yeah you'd be surprised if you just really really try really hard for three laps in a crit to be at the front for a bit you know you'll probably be able to do it and it always gets easier after the first i just did somerville i raced the one two race huge bucket list item for me you know, being able to do a race that's been around for 78 years, kind of an iconic one, and also a race that's not too far away from my house. So it's like, cool, let's go do this. But like I approached it, you know, <laughs> sitting here at my computer, it was just like, oh, I can race Somerville this year and not have to do the Masters. I can do the Cat 1-2 race and race against Danny Estevez and Spencer Movenzade, Clever Martinez, you know, all of the people who I talk to on this show and, and have it be an experience. Like, I had no illusion that I was going to try to out-sprint Noah Granigan, uh, no realistic illusion that I was going to try to do that, but at least I was there. And, you know, going into a 50 mile race for somebody who doesn't do a lot of 50 mile crits was daunting. It was somewhat, I don't know, intimidating. So when I got to the line and I hadn't been able to do as much warm up as I wanted to do, because God knows a million different things are happening at once. I was like super nervous. I'm like, I'm going to get dropped. I'm going to get dropped. This is going to be so embarrassing. And then I had to remember that Nobody knows who I am when I get shelled in these races, except for the fans of the show who say, but it was just one more corner at a time. And so, you know, there was a point with four laps to go that the race got neutralized because of a crash. And I looked at what was left of the field at that point in time. And I suddenly realized that despite the fact that I was ranked in that race, 136th among the starters, there was only like 40 or 50 people left. And I was one of those guys. I can beat 40 or 50 people. Like it suddenly became a manageable experience for me that I could actually play an impact or effective role in that race. And I started to believe in myself much more so than I had believed in myself at any point in time up to that race, up uh, any point in time up to then in that race. But here I am, just suddenly a ton of energy after 44 miles of racing that you would think that you would have none. You would have depleted your entire stores. Is this what you're talking about? Yeah, like 100%. I mean, at that moment, like, you might have gone into that neutralization being like, I'm fucked, I'm probably at the back. And then you looked around and you're like, there's only 40 people left. And then you're like, oh shit, like, I'm better than all those people freaking dude like i made the selection kind of thing and you're like well i clearly belong to be like in this group you know so yeah i think that's like exactly what it is it's like you know, knowing yeah i mean people are it's such a nervous sport you know where at every level people are nervous to be there and that's the worst part it's like you gotta be confident to do all the sports like 
you're not just going to nervously happen to be in the top five wheels on the last lap of a crit and then win it. It's like, you have to be like, I am going to be in the top 10 wheels and I'm going to you know, be sprinting for the win. There's, there's a big delineation between those two types of people. And it's fine to be, you know, the person that is nervous, but is going to slowly work their way up towards being confident. I mean, you all have to start somewhere. We have, you know, there are those people that just do it and they're just like, are so competitive that they want to be at the front and they're strong enough just to be there. And then like people like myself, it takes a really long time just to get better slowly, get more confident slowly. And then, you know, now it's a little bit more second nature just to be in good position. So I have some data here because why not? This show loves data. And I'm pulling something from the tour of Newport News, which is um, an omnium that happens in the, the Tidewater area of Virginia. But I wanted to look at it because I was at this race and I made choices about what category I wanted to do based on, I don't know, probably fear more than anything else. So Newport News is four stages over three days. The first stage is the street sprints. Uh, so you can say what you want to say about that. But then the next two, the next ones are a time trial, a crit, and a road race or a circuit race. And they offered a 3-4, a 2-3, and a 1-2. And Bike Reg now allows you to look at, in certain cases, the race predicting which I think is interesting. It, it doesn't tell you anything useful other than I was supposed to be 136 that at, uh, you know, Somerville and I was definitely not, but it also breaks down the categories of all the people who are registered for the race in an easy, an easy way to look at. So if you look at the three, four race, 34 of the participants were cat threes, 44 were cat fours, even though the fours had, their own standalone race that they could do. If you look at the two, three race, again, there's a separate three, four race. There are 14 cat twos and 45 cat threes in the two, three race. And then you go to the pro one, two race and you have 19 cat ones. They've got nowhere else to go unless they're going to race masters and 15 cat twos. You've got this, very strange way that this is all set up. And I don't know if that tells us anything about ourselves or if it doesn't. Like you've got the people who are reaching to race in the category that's above them because that's what they feel like what they're supposed to do. And you've got the people coming down to race in the category that they potentially should race in. Because you see this all the time with Toad that's got a two, three and also has a one, two or Intelli that's got a one, two, two, three and a master's one through four, one through four, or, you know, Tulsa has a master's 40 plus cat one, two, but at the same time, a cat one race, a cat one, two race and a three, four, like why, why that breakdown? Why are we seeing so many cat threes lining up in a cat two race and so many cat twos lining up in a cat one, two race. So I've, I have talked about this with many people many times, and it's going to sound really harsh at first, but like, I'll explain that I fall into this trap as well. Is that like, let's just take it through the category one through five, one being the best five being a novice. Cat fives are just there. They're just like soaking it all in. They have no idea what's going on. They're just having fun. You know, like half of them are racing. So cat fives are doing their thing. Cat fours are like, you know, those dudes can have $15,000 bikes and they're, you know, scattered across the map. And then you've got that cat four that comes in who's a college runner and he just demolishes everyone, makes his way to a cat one. Anymore. But every cat four is sitting there thinking, shit, if I just get to cat three, that sounds like awesome. Those guys are fast. Like, that's pretty cool. And so then they get to cat three. And then once they're cat three, they're like, well, shoot, I can do a pro one, two, three race. Like, I'm pretty close to a pro. And they're also thinking like, I just need to get the two because then all I can do is just one, two races at that point. And they pretty much think, well, once I get to two, I'm essentially a pro. And then you get to cat two. They all think they're pre-world tour. They're like, yeah, you know, honestly, like I can do six watts per kilo for 20 minutes. Like they're all, they're the guys that starve themselves the most. They're always the skinniest out of everybody. And they're all pretty much like, like cat one's nothing. I'm I'm doing those races now. 
and then everyone gets to Cat One, and then they do tour the Gila, and then they realize they should quit cycling. That's like typically <laughs> that's like what I think. But basically, like again, everyone wants to be in the big show. Everyone wants to be a pro, and I fell into that too. And a shitty thing that happens is that it was way way harder when I was starting. But our point system for catting up used to be you had to get all your points in a season to cat up. And so, but the, the whole weird thing is that also you can just type in like an explanation why you should be the next category. And it is kind of discretionary. It's not objective at all. USAC officials will be like, boom, cat two, you're upgraded. But shoot, I remember like I did that. I definitely did that a few times. Like there is no way I deserved my cat three to cat two upgrade. There's no way I had enough points to do it. And those were more in the times when it was a bit more objective of you had to have the points. But I made some sort of argument and boom, I got it. And truthfully, I shouldn't have. I think it should be a very objective system. You get the points or you don't. And one thing that I really try to harp on any athlete I coach that's doing, you know, like road racing is that you need to learn how to win. Like you need to learn how to be on the podium to get results in the category you're in. If you're constantly, if you get upgrade points by getting eighth place 26 times, it's not really doing you much good because you're still in that outside bubble, not really fighting for it. But when you're consistently getting third, first, second, fourth, first, first, it's like, okay, you're, you're in, you're exceeding the category that you're in. I really think that everyone should be exceeding the category that they're in. And then it means you deserve to be up to that next level and so on and so forth. But like myself, I probably upgraded to Cat 2 to Cat 1 with maybe one win, maybe a few wins in a Cat 2 only race, um, and then probably like a bunch of six places, and I probably went to Toter and Telly where I did the two threes and racked up some you know top fives, but like I wasn't learning how to win, so I didn't have that same kind of hunger. I was just like, the only thing that mattered was just to get to Cat 1. That was the only objective. And so I wasn't really fulfilling. And then I got to cat one and I was like, A, this is super hard. And then B, it's like, well, the only thing you can do now is just win. There's like really nowhere else to go. You know, you go pro, whatever. But everyone just wants to be in the spot. So like I was thinking about this earlier when you were talking about Tulsa. So in matter is going to be a strong word, but like what what's a better result? Winning the one-two race at Tulsa, which I think is a pretty competitive field still or getting 15th to 20th in the pro rates which i think is also still a really good result like that's the first two nights like it takes some balls to get 15th place so or even like 12th place like who's what's gonna matter more what are, the, what are people gonna look at because i know a lot of people that have gotten rides on teams from winning the amateur one two race at tulsa but if whoever gets 12th place no one gives a shit so it's like, what's the difference there? Like in the, the cat one that decides to go do the one, two race, opposed to doing the pro race, like, is that a better decision? Or toad was the, always a great example. They had a cat two, a best cat two Jersey in the one, two race. So what do you do? Do you try to win a bunch of races in the two race? Or do you go to the one, two race and try to get the best amateur Jersey or you try to get 15th place? Like, and then, like I said, like, what matters more? What's more important? All this stuff. And that's like what we've argued about a lot. Like this kind of value of where you, what race you do and where you find yourself in that race. And I think you, you did mention this a little bit when you reach that cat two to cat one on the men's side or cat three to cat one on the women's side, you know, a lot of times you can't really win and, you know, not, upgrade sort of thing. Like if I based my up upgrade points from a cat two to a cat one on local races here in Mabra, it would be all cat one, two races. So if I get third, you know, there's really like no learning to win a cat one, two race without winning a cat one, two race. You, you have to go to these somewhat special events that exist with these cat two or cat two, three races that are dying in this country. Those like five years ago, cat two only races were the way you got to cat one. You'd go to Valley of the sun. You'd go to Sandimas. 
you'd go to Toad, you'd go to Intelli, you'd go to Green Mountain, and you'd do the Cat 2 only race. And that was your big point score. But now those don't exist. And the Cat 2s at Green Mountain have to do the 1-2, and they're getting shellacked out there, and they don't even want to do the Cat 1-2 race anymore. They don't even want to go. So it's hard, you know, because you do have those people that want to do the two race and test themselves and get the results. And then I think you have the people that just want to be in the race and say that they did, you know, the pro one race of Tulsa. Got, and I don't know, there's not, maybe there's nothing wrong with that. And maybe I'm just being salty about it, but. Well, let me ask that. Cause like, that's kind of the, the, the question that sparked this entire conversation was like, you know, okay, cool. You won the masters X, but does that mean you're as cool as the person who competed in the pro race? You know, we get a lot of, a lot of Instagram love from, you know, people like I'm on the podium of X, Y, and Z race. And you're like, Oh, that's awesome. He's a really good bike racer. I know him. He's a, he's a friendly guy and I love to chat with him. But then you look into the results and the results are like, that was the, the 40 plus that you won there, bro. You didn't win the cat one race. So are you as cool as the guy who won the cat one race? Or are you trying to sell yourself as the cat one winner or just rely on people not bridging the gap between all the people on the podium have gray hair as compared to, you know? Yes. And I think like to preface the listeners, like this stemmed from you texting me being like, I'm doing this race this weekend, like the master's race, whatever the master's 35 plus one, two, three has like 15 dudes registered in it. And the pro one, two race had, you know, like 35 dudes. And you were like, which one should I do? I was like, dude, do the master's race. And you were like, why? And I was like, you could win that one. And you're like, but it's only 15 dudes. I'm like, so what, you know? And you know, my perspective on it was that winning is badass. Like winning is fun. And I think, it shouldn't be like, well, it wasn't this higher stature race, but I wasn't also like really seeing your view, which was like, you're taking a lot of satisfaction out of maybe getting, you know, eight in the one, two race. So that, that that's this whole difference is like, my perspective is like, I think like, and, and it's not all about winning, but I do think it's cool to be able to ride like at your limit and win a race and be on the top step opposed to always be kind of fighting for eighth place. And again, that's just like my perspective. And I don't, I hope it doesn't come off as like, you know, an arrogant elitist thing. I just, I think it's cool when people can race within their ability and find themselves at the top of that ability. And maybe you never make it past that, which is fine. And then maybe you're like, you know, maybe, yeah, you do all the master's races and you crush all of them. And you just win a bunch of them and then you go to the next category up and you just can't make that jump, which is okay. But like you found your limit at one of them. You were like, I know at least that I was, you know, the best at this and I tried to go higher and I just honestly couldn't. And that's fine. So that's where it kind of stems from. It's like, is it cooler to be like, I did this pro race opposed to doing the race I knew it could win. And then is it even a cool thing? Because it could just be, yeah, you take satisfaction out of fighting for the top 20 in the pro race. And that's totally cool. That's a you do you moment right there. Yeah, because the race you're talking about, it was actually Newport News. I was originally signed up to do the Cat 2-3 race uh, at the suggestion of my coach because he's like, you can win that. You might not be able to win the Cat 1-2 race, you know, but you can win the 2-3. You're a 2. You're a really not bad 2. And so I was like, okay, cool. I'll go do that. But then I saw that there were 40 or 50 guys signed up for the Cat 2-3 race. I got nervous. I had never done that particular crit before. I started to get worried that I was going to get dropped and make an ass out of myself. And I noticed that the 35 plus was... 15 or 20 dudes, a lot more manageable, you know, and I'm not afraid of 15 cat 35 or 35 pluses because I, I know these guys, I, I, I know how they race. I ended up getting third overall on the weekend in the Omnium, which is, a, is, is a solid result. I, I walked away with 30 whole dollars, you know, which is great. That prize money is, is well spent, but I also walked away with, sh with, with, with shame. 
with shame of actually being there at the Twilight Crit with the one twos, a lot of whom are my friends, and watching them do something that I could have and should have been doing. And did my third place in the Omnium overcome that that shame that I felt? And is shame the right word for me to even use here? I don't know. This is a subjective feeling, so I'm going to use the word shame. I was ashamed. I was ashamed of what I did. And like, I had every right to race that race. I had every right to race the 2-3 race. I had every right to race the 1-2 race. But I chose the route of least resistance. And because of it, I got to post cool pictures on social media and feel bad about it too. Yeah. And again, I don't, I don't think you should feel bad about it. I mean, you in you by all means fit into that category that you raced and you perform towards the top of that field. And I think that's perfectly fine. I think you could have done the two, three race and maybe gotten something out of it and gotten a lot of satisfaction. Like, you know, again, and even when you're coming up through the ranks, a lot of times, like, you do, you, you know, race the next category up and you get 10th and you're stoked on it. And maybe if you would have done the lower category one and you got third, you wouldn't be quite as stoked. So, I mean, it might be the same kind of thing. And again, like I totally, there is no right or wrong kind of answer in this whole thing. And it really all comes down to like, what is the most fun for you and what brings you the most joy? And my perspective is like race, like racing, racing. Like I'm the kind of guy that like, I like winning group rides, like that shit, like gets me all fired up for the rest of the day. And that's like, you know, small potatoes in the grand scheme of things, but I think it's, I think it's fun. And maybe that's just the competitive nature of me. I don't know, but I understand where you're coming from. I just, I don't know if I was your coach, I, I might've given you different advice and Zach did. But you know, it's Somerville, super nervous in the first couple of laps. They did this staged thing based on rankings. So I was in row 35. Jeez. Yeah. So I was 136th in the ranking. And so I knew that I needed to get up to the front pretty quickly. And I sprinted literally like end of race level sprint to, to the first corner. I settled in there. I kept moving up, moving up until I found Adam Meyerson. Adam was one of the few people in that field who's older than me. But I also know from experience racing with that guy, he is not going to put himself into a bad spot or a spot that he can't get out of. And so I'm like, everything got calm. Everything got calm. And suddenly I'm racing next to Clever and we're, we're sharing jokes and he's, he's yelling like congratulations to me because we're 45 minutes into this race and I'm still there. And like I had this incredible joy from just finishing that race. And now I'll get mocked by some of my friends who are like, you drove all the way to New Jersey just to finish 68th. That's stupid. I'm like, yeah, but I also went to Taylor Swift, so you can go suck it. <laughs> uh, so I was happy. I was happy with 68th. I was happy with not dying. I was happy with everything that I did and I would do it again tomorrow. I would just probably sprint harder. You know what? Myerson is a really interesting, he would be good to talk about this with you. He would actually, I would very much like to hear his opinion because, you know, okay, you know, he's he's been around the block. He's a good cross racer, great crit racer. Like the dude knows stuff and he still shows up to Tony, does the one-two race. And, you know, yeah, maybe eight years ago he would have been winning it. But now, like, he really, and I'd be curious to get his opinion on it. Like, is he is he stoked with getting like fifth? And I'm, I'm not saying that in like a bad way. Like the dude is still, super good, but he's obviously, he's over 50 years old and he's still hanging and he's doing it. I would just be curious to like, be like, dude, why don't you do the master's race and like clean house thing? You know, it's like Bahati made that, made that kind of transition at a certain point too. The dude could have crushed everyone 10 years ago with Toad, but he goes there now and he does the, the master's race. And it's just like, you know, he might just, he might be the kind of guy that wants to just still freaking win. And Myerson might be the guy that's like, I want to test myself and compare myself to kind of where I was before. And if I'm five spots farther back, then so be it. But like, you know, so I think those are, those would be two interesting people to kind of talk about that. Same thing. Well, see, you got to go back to the episode we released in July last year when we had Myerson and Peter Olenicek on, and we asked him that exact question because he had given me this exact same talk 
right before Plainfield, so the day before Somerville last year, where his comment to me was, I'm going to continue to race this race until I can't race this race anymore. That was that was what made me happy. And that's also seeing him on the registration list for Somerville is what made me confident that if he's doing it, I can do it. He's a hell of a lot better bike racer and smarter bike racer than I am. But like, I felt confident. Now, what about if we take it, since you brought up Bahati, there are a group of masters bike racers who are eligible to race masters by virtue of age, but also eligible by experience and power levels that they can still race the one, the cat one race, the pro one race. You know, I'm not singling out Bahati, but I know Bahati can win any race that he basically wants to as a master, but there are other people like that who they show up at these races and they blow the doors off of everybody on a regular basis. And is there a point in time where it's no longer fun? Yeah. There's dudes that fall like Jaden Yeager in the Midwest was like a really good example of that. Like he came on like quickly cat four, cat three, cat two. And he was just an absolute motor engine did the, the one, two racing for a while. And I didn't realize he was actually quite a bit older than I thought. And so then I noticed he started doing the master's races. He would just, he could ride away from the entire, he could, he could be in the break in the pro race and then he could ride away from the entire field. No problem in the master's race. So yeah, there's this like, these people that fall, I mean, shoot, if I, okay, if I kept training as hard as I did, you know, right now, I could do it if I wanted to for the next four years and get to 35. And I could do 35 plus Masters Nationals. Let's say it's on a very hilly course, like, sure, I might have a really good shot to win that. Like, and, you know, maybe I race at the same level I do now until that year. It's like, is that unfair? It's like, no, I fall into that category. I can do whatever the F I want. But, you know, there is that, that kind of notion of people being like, yeah, well, you know, it's like if Alejandro Valverde wanted to come and race the master's race, it told he would just demolish everybody. You know, since you talked about Alejandro Valverde, there are a fair number of world tour pros who are showing up in your races now. Miguel Angel Lopez, Oscar Sevilla, you know, guys who by all intents and purposes should be racing in Europe. And here they are racing speed week or racing you at Joe Morton? I mean, is it the same like level of, come on, man, what are you doing here? What, what are you Chris Hornering it for? Yeah. Yeah. With, with Lopez, Lopez is a different, like, okay. Like, um, Sergio Hanau came and raced a bunch of crits in the U S raced Joe Martin. He's on disruptors now and he's still quite good, but he's not, you know, world tour Sergio Hanau. I'm sure he trains about 50% that he, so whatever, as long as they're not mopping the floor, then you get Lopez that comes and just who is at the peak of his cycling game, who's been on the podium at the Tour de France, and comes and just makes us look like children. Then it's like, dude, like, yeah, I guess in theory you fall into this category now where you can do this race. But what the F are you doing? And, you know, again, if he's going to race, then whatever, we just have to deal with it. But you're just kind of like, man, like, sucks it was like going into gila was like a bummer at first i was like this sucks and then funny enough like on the first stage like being like well you know i was only this amount of seconds behind him and still on the podium with him i was like well that's pretty cool but still you're just like dude go back to europe how do you keep it to be fun you know once you find what you're looking for once you find the thing that made you happy and that made you feel good being in the sport, how do you keep it to be there knowing that whatever you're doing has to change throughout time? There's only so many times you can pull a lever and have it be cool. Uh, of course, people in Vegas might disagree with me. I mean, that that's a hard one. Like, I really have not felt... I've had bad years, but I've never had a year where I didn't think I was getting better. So, like improvement is an easy thing to keep that going. So I haven't personally faced it yet, but like, I think for me at a certain point, it'll just be like, it's like with Tyler Stites, he's so good. And like, you just want to help him because he's, he's younger, he's better. And he's just didn't have 
he's so good and didn't have the opportunity. Like I just didn't have the opportunity because I wasn't that good then. And that's fine. I, I can live with that. But he's so good and he's just not being given the opportunity that I truly think he deserves. So me helping him, I'm like, yes, like I can take satisfaction out of this because I might not be able to win this race. But if I help Tyler, or maybe even if I don't help Tyler, he probably can win this race. So like those things, I think still keep it fun. And again, that goes back to like the winning is fun thing to me. Like, yes, in this phase in my sporting quote unquote career, like is result oriented. And I want to get the best results I can for myself and for my team. So being able to help Tyler, if I'm not able to do that, that brings me like a lot of satisfaction because I know I contributed to that in some way where maybe he couldn't have done it on his own. Um, and honestly, like doing new things, like, you know, I'm doing Crusher and the Tusher next month and it's totally new experience for me. I'm like scared shitless. I'm like trying to figure out, I'm building up a gravel bike. I'm trying to figure out what the hell I'm going to do. And like that whole new experience is super fun. It's totally different. And, um, you know, that's something that keeps that drive going because it breaks the monotony a bit of, uh, of everything. So, yeah, I mean, I think if you can constantly either improve, see improvements or do new things that are fun, um, then for me personally, that's what keeps it fun. I mean, some dude might do the exact same ride every single day and just likes working out and he finds that fun, like more power to you, man. Like keep doing it. Yeah, there's definitely people at Haynes Point every single day. It's five kilometers. It goes in the same direction. There's no elevation change. The only thing that's interesting about it is which way the wind is coming and if it's flooded or not. But that's like some people's game is that they love that. They they want to see that. Just to kind of wrap up here of of all of this, are are we afraid as bike racers and as athletes to try something that we might not be good at or just to not be good at something. And therefore we think that it's no longer cool because we didn't get it. It's like playing pool for the first time. You're not going to run the table, but you're like, I should be able to do this. And therefore this game sucks because my wife beat me in pool. I'm still bitter about the one time I played pool against my wife and she beat me, you know? So maybe this question is loaded and I'm sorry, sweetheart. But that's the funny thing about the sport, because if you really break cycling down to like its basics, you literally lose 99% of the time. Like, yeah, second place is great, but you still technically did not win the race. So like, if you look at it like that, we choose the coolest sport where you lose all the time, but somehow we like take these little snippets out of it can always find the silver lining which is awesome like that's also what makes the sport really great because there's so many people doing it that like yeah like second place is badass sometimes like that's sick but like we lose all the time but yes like i think it does attract a certain type of competitive person to continue to do the sport and if you're like myself i do struggle when i do things that i'm bad at because i typically have always like fixated on a certain thing and you know it wasn't always cycling there was lots of other stuff that like i wanted to get really good at and so i just focused on doing that so when i do something else like i tried like nordic skiing the past few winters and i'm just so freaking bad it's so frustrating that i can't be good at it because i spend most of my time riding bikes where i'm really comfortable and really good at it so yeah like i think there's some people that love it and they go do a new thing and they're like this is awesome because it's different and there's some people that really like the comfort of being pretty good at something and doing it consistently. Well, Ricky, thanks so much for helping us uh, have this little therapy session. Really appreciate it. Yeah, maybe I'll change the way. I think I'm going to slowly change my outlook on things. I think I have a pretty jaded perspective sometimes, but you know, I try to be positive. Wait till you get to your 40s. Everything's jaded. I'm a grumpy old man now. <laughs> thanks, Ricky. All right, see you. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. WideAnglePodium.com is your source for the full bevy of shows there. 
Today's episode was written, produced, and edited by me, Rob Kelly, with special thanks to Ricky Arnopel for sharing all of that with us. Uh, we will be back again next week for our annual Tulsa Tough recap show with the one and only Adam Mills. So join us here again next time for more stories from our Criterium Nation.